we could have an invitation right now and go home. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. Praise the Lord. Be much in prayer for uh, Sean Smith, his family, and the passing of Sean's mother this week. She is in glory. Praise the Lord. I had the privilege on several occasions of, of talking to uh, his, his mom. And what a sweet, sweet lady. But uh, she came from a Catholic background, and so Sean was concerned about her salvation. And so, uh, so I spent quite a bit of time with her. I'm convinced that she had a, a very good understanding of salvation by faith in Christ and Christ alone when it was all said and done. Now, confusion on church polity, yeah. Other issues, yeah. But, uh, but I'm going to see her in heaven. I'm looking forward to that one day. And so, so we don't have to pray for her any longer, but uh, this is tough on the family. So, so just pray. I'd encourage you, if you would, take your Bibles, if you have one, and turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 22. Proverbs 22. I try this month to keep my messages on Sunday morning dealing with the family. This morning is the family name. We'll see here in Proverbs chapter 22, the first verse, I'll use as a springboard for my message. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 1. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. What's your name worth? What's your name worth to those who know you? Your folks you work with, your family to God. Let's pray and ask God to meet with us during this time. Dear Lord, thank you for your love, your blessing, your mercies, and the sweet time we've already had in your house. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't remember. I'm going to guess. I was in third grade, and I grew up in a home where my father was a, a, the, the dominant disciplinarian in the home. And uh, he believed that children were meant to be seen and not heard, and not always seen. <laughs> when we were, we were in public, he expected us to obey. He demanded obedience out of us and was shocked if we even had the thought of disobeying. That just didn't even enter into his mind that, that we would consider disobeying. So we're sitting in a, a restaurant, and I remember it vividly because it was, just, it, it, it was traumatic. I remember vividly, so my sister and I are on one side of the booth, and my mom and dad are on the other side of the booth. And I don't remember the restaurant, but it was, I, I, it was, it was a restaurant nonetheless. And, and it was a, a fine restaurant because it wasn't McDonald's. And so it was some kind of a restaurant we're sitting at, and, and they had straws. And here I am, third grader. What, what, third graders have all sorts of creativity. You know this. And so... I like playing pranks on my dad, even though they usually end up blowing up my face. And so I took the straw and opened it up. And, and you know, it's an incredible thing, but you take just the end of the paper off and you expose the straw and then you can, you can blow with a certain amount of effort and that paper covering will, will shoot out. Right, right, we're gonna go. And so that'd be so cool. In my mind, it worked out so perfectly. That my dad is across the table from me, and so I've got a fairly good aim, 
And so I took this thing, I aimed, and I shot, and it went right over his head. And it hit the guy right behind him, right in the forehead. So my dad turns around and he sees this guy pick up a piece of paper and he's going to hit in the forehead and he apologizes. You cannot believe the face that I got from my dad after that. You see, he taught me that there is something about our family name. I am known by my name and whatever I do affects the family name. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. A good name. Didn't take me long to think of an illustration in the Bible. Finally, after 400 years, God led the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt. And they're, they're going to the promised land. Hallelujah. Of course, you know the story. They, they go there. They, they refuse to go in because of lack of belief. And God has them wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And all those 20 years old and upward, they all died in the wilderness. Now, it's, 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 it's years later, they're standing at the very door of the promised land. They're ready to go in and possess this land of blessing. Awesome. Well, God tells Moses all these regulations and rules and, and long about that. Right before they go in, God says, Moses, you blew it. You're going to have to die. He died. Now it's Joshua. Joshua has taken over the, the reins of leadership. Joshua now is leading the people into the promised land. They come to the very first city. The first city is Jericho. And you know the story how they were supposed to march around the city for seven days once a time, and then on the last day, march around for seven days, and then on the seventh day, they're supposed to holler and scream and everything, and, and, the, and the walls came tumbling down. Hallelujah. One thing that you might have forgotten in the story was God told Joshua to make sure that your people do not take anything out of the city, for this first city is going to be a tithe, an offering to me. It's mine, God says. Everything else... You can have. But this first city is mine. It is sanctified for me. So nobody, nobody can take. They're going to go in. You're going to destroy the city. You're going to destroy all the inhabitants. But do not take spoil out of the city. Now understand, this was a very wealthy city. There was lots and lots of wealth in this city. But the people of Israel, they said, we want God's blessing. We saw God work mightily. We've seen the, the plagues. We've seen all these different things. Now we saw the, the walls come tumbling down in front of us. God's an awesome God. We're going to obey Him. All of them agreed, except for one person. A young man named Achan. Achan said, who's going to know the difference? Who's going to know? Look at all this wealth. We're just walking away, going to leave it. Who's going to know the difference? Just one person. He took a few bars of silver and he took some really awesome clothes and he went and hid it so nobody would see. Nobody's the worse off. He didn't hurt anybody. It's not like the people there are going to miss it. They're all dead. But God saw it. And what happened as a result of Achan's sin started a domino of things happening that, quite frankly, even today, it's hard for me to comprehend. I'm going to take you to the story here in Joshua chapter 7, and verse 13. God says, Up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves against the morrow, for thus saith the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. 
thou canst not stand before thine enemies until ye take away the accursed thing from among you. Of course, the accursed thing is that which that was stolen from Jericho. It became cursed. In the morning, he says, therefore, ye shall be brought according to your tribes. There's 12 tribes of Israel, and every one of your tribes is going to come and stand before me, God said. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord taketh shall come according to the families thereof. And the family which the Lord shall take shall come by households. And the household which the Lord shall take shall come man by man. Somebody took of the accursed thing. Of course, God knows who, but he's going to teach his people an illustration, a lesson here. Because tomorrow, what we're going to do is each of the 12 tribes are going to march before me, one tribe after another. And when the tribe who has the person who took of the accursed thing is identified, then we're going to say, okay, now I want this family of the tribe. And then from the head of the family all the way down, they're going to stand before me. And then ultimately, one person by one person is going to stand before me until the offender is identified. Now, take just a moment and let the magnitude of that sink in. Can you imagine what it would be like wondering if your tribe was the offending tribe that's going to be called out by God for an offense. And then your tribe is called. And then your family name is called. <laughs> You're sweating profusely, scared to death, even if you didn't do it just to hear your name called to stand before an awesome God because somebody in your family is guilty. In 1 Chronicles 2.7, And the sons of Carmi, here called Achar, the same as Achan, is called the troubler of Israel, who transgressed in the thing accursed. Achan, of course, was the one identified. Here he is called the troubler of Israel. The troubler of Israel. Now let me again set this stage for you. The trouble of Israel. Israel was a nation. It'd be like calling one person out and saying that person is a trouble of the USA. They're the reason why the USA is being plagued. They're the reason. One person. Joshua 7, 16. So Joshua rose up early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes. Twelve tribes, one after another, before God. And the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought the family of Judah. And he took the family of the Zarhites. And he brought the family of the Zarhites man by man. And Zabdi was taken. Now, this doesn't mean a whole lot to us because we don't know the, the names per se. Per se. But understand what God's doing. He, he's, he's narrowing down to find out who the offender is. Starts with the tribe, the 12th part of Israel, and they're standing before God. 
Okay, who is it? Which one of the family groups is it in this tribe of Judah? All of Judah is now fearful. And he calls the family of Zabdi, and he brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zero, of the tribe of Judah was taken. So the tribe of Judah was taken, and then identified was the family of the Zarhites. And then Zabdi, Achan's father, was identified, as was Zerah, Achan's grandfather, was identified. There is an offender here, God says. Judah, it's in you. God's not happy with Judah. I didn't do anything. Yes, you did. You've got an offender in your midst. We didn't know. doesn't matter. They're in your midst. Judah, I'm calling you out. Zabdi, I'm calling you out. Carmi, I'm calling you out. We didn't know. There's an offender in your midst. Joshua 7, 24, and Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold and his sons. These are all the things that he took. Silver and a garment and a wedge of gold. And his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them unto the valley of Achor. It's interesting here. Achan's called the son of Zerah. Um, when it came to lines of genealogy, the Jews oftentimes would, would use a family head to identify that person. They would say, so-and-so, the, the, the son of, and oftentimes it would not be the, 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 the person's father. It would refer back to a leading patriarch. Well, here it says Achan, the son of Zerah. Zerah was his grandfather. So Achan's grandfather's name is associated with the offender. Verse 26, Joshua 7, And they raised over him a great heap of stones. They stoned him. People of Israel, they stoned him. They killed him. Along with his family. Along with his flocks. Along with everything he had. They stoned him. Great heap of stones to this day. The Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor, which means trouble, unto this day. That land, the place in which Achan and his whole family, Achan called the troubler of Israel, the place that he was stoned, the place there's this great big heap as a memorial to the trouble he caused. Now the land there is called the Valley of Trouble. So not only was Achan known as a troubler, Achan changed the name of the land. Ecclesiastes 7.1 says, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. A good name is better than precious ointment. Take that. My wife likes to go and look at candles, take the lid off and smell the, or <coughs> some of those are nasty. 
Oh, those ones that smell good. <sighs> when I think of that name, you know, you know that family? Oh, yeah. Oh. <sighs> a good name is a valuable commodity. A good name comes from good reports. Proverbs 15.30, the light of the eyes rejoiceth the heart, and a good report maketh the bones fat. Hebrews 11.2, for by it the elders obtained a good report. Hebrews 11.39, and these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. A good name comes from good reports. Did you hear about? Can I tell you what happened? Did you hear what they did? A good report builds a good name. Isaiah 56, verse 4 and 5, For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths, and choose the things that please me, and take hold of my covenant. Even unto them will I give in mine house and within my walls a place and a name better than the sons and of the daughters. To those, he said, who choose the things that please me, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. A good name comes from good choices. A good name comes from making good choices. There's a merciful change of names. In Hosea chapter 2 and verse 15, And I will give her her vineyards from thence, and the valley of Achor for a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, and as in the days when she came up out of the land of Egypt. When I was reading through this, I noticed, because I've been studying it, the valley of Achor. Valley of Achor. Where do I know that? Oh, I know. I just studied it. That's where Achan was killed, the valley of Achor. It became known as the valley of trouble. The valley of trouble. There's a great big memorial heap of stones over the family of Achan there, where they killed him as a memorial, a reminder of the trouble that he caused Israel by taking of the accursed thing. And here, in Hosea, that valley is mentioned. Well, here's a merciful change of names. Remember, remember Jacob in the Old Testament. God came to Jacob and God says, Jacob, I'm not going to call you Jacob anymore. I'm going to call you Israel. In Genesis chapter 3, or 32 and verse 26, Jacob, in the middle of the night, was wrestling with, with God. He was wrestling. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. Up until that time, Jacob had been a supplanter, one who deceived his brother out of his birthright, and then stealing the blessing of the firstborn, to becoming a prince with God. A merciful change of names. No longer are you going to be called deceiver. You will be called prince with God. Saul, in the New Testament, was undoubtedly named after the first king of Israel, Saul, who began his reign incredibly, 
Here this Saul is head, tall and, uh, head and shoulders above all the rest. What a great leader for the first two years, thereabouts. And so they got full of himself, no longer a good leader. So Saul in the New Testament was incredibly effective at taking Christians and arresting them and bringing them up on charges and having them incarcerated and oftentimes murdered because of their Christian faith. Because Saul was a Pharisee, a, a, a lawyer of the lawyers. He had progressed greatly in the ranks of Pharisees. But Saul got saved. And Saul became Paul. Saul was reminiscent of this king who became proud. And oh, Saul in the New Testament, proud of what he was accomplishing for God. Look at these Christians that I am putting away to defend the Jewish faith. Blinded by that light on the road to Damascus, came face to face with Jesus himself and humbled before him. He trusted in Jesus Christ. And he became known as Paul, which means little. No longer full of myself. Now I'm Paul, I'm little. He is everything. He must increase, but I must decrease. In 1 Corinthians 9.16, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 12.11, I am become a fool in glorying. You have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended of you, for in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. Saul went from being a pompous leader of Pharisees to a humble servant of Christ, willing to submit his will completely to the will of Christ. The Valley of Achor. Valley of Achor, the Valley of Trouble. Interesting, in, in Hosea's prophecy, I will give her her vineyards from thence, and the Valley of Achor for a door of hope. The Valley of Trouble, that which is known as a troubling place, a reminder of what Achan did to trouble the people of Israel and cause that horrible offense. I will make it a door of hope. After Jericho, Ai became the next city. And oh boy, I tell you what, they were, they were so pumped up after Jericho, they could do anything. So they said, this is a small little city. We only need a, a small little force. Well, little did they know that they had, they had uh, Achan in the camp. And so they were unable to defeat Ai, but standing between them and the promised land, opening it up to them was this little town called Ai. So they had to get their hearts right before God. And then God destroyed Ai. Their first attempt was a failure because of Achan's sin. Their second attempt was a success because sin was judged and God's will was sought. Ai 
became the door to the kingdom of Christ. In the day of the, day of the Lord, Ai will become a symbol of Israel's re renewed hope in their Messiah. As people come back from all parts of the globe, as Jews are called back to Jerusalem, symbolically they will come through the land of Ai, the door to the promised land, the door of hope. Where is this door of hope? Valley of Achor will become a door of hope. That which was known as a place of trouble, that which was known as a place of cursing, will become a place of great hope going into the millennium. So a name, just because it becomes tarnished, as was Achan's, as was the Valley of Achor, can be mercifully changed by God as one humbly submits themselves to Him. As I studied this, I realized there was a direct correlation to how God handles a church and a church name. Most of us here, if we were asked, we could probably name a half a dozen churches pretty easily. And in that list of a half a dozen churches, more than likely, if I then ask you to say, okay, how many of those churches are really, really good churches? Well, well, I trust that the name of Hope Baptist Church is a good name. But how do we maintain it? How do we make sure that Hope Baptist Church is a name that's a good name, both among our membership, the community, and the world at large. In 1 Corinthians 11, 18, for first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it, Paul told them. You see, trouble in the church reached the founder and mentor of that church. Paul had established that church. And now he's hearing reports. There's divisions among you. You're, you're not getting along. You're not working together. There's, there's little factions. This group over here believing this, and this group over here believing this, and they're not talking, they're, they're angry at each other. All the business meetings. Here, a year ago, over a year ago now, issue came up in the church. And it was, it, it was, it was troubling to some folks in the church. Several families left the church over it. I called her previous pastor because I figured word to get back to him and I want to share with him and first of all share my grief with him and you know by that time word had already received been, been to him over it trouble in the church reached their founder and mentor Paul says I've heard I've heard it's a problem with the name. Something going on in that church. In 1 Corinthians 1, 10, 11, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. He says, For it hath been declared unto me of you. In other words, I've heard. <laughs> I've heard talk. 
by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. There's folks talking, and those folks are church members. And they're talking, and they're spreading this report. They're saying, this is what's going on in the church. This is what's going on. Did you hear? Did you hear me tell you about? A number of years ago, my previous church went through an upheaval. It turned out that the one spreading most of the sludge were the membership. They were not other church members, they were church members themselves. How do you maintain a good church name? I heard there's been divisions among you. That's what I heard, Paul said. What should have been a family problem. You know family problems. We have them. All families have family problems. We don't want the neighbors to solve our family problems. Know what I'm saying? Let's, let's, let's work them out. In 1 Corinthians 5.1, Paul says, It is reported commonly. That means completely, everywhere, that there is fornication among you. And such fornication is, is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. Trouble in that church, of course the church of Corinth, became widespread public knowledge. Did you hear about First Baptist Church of Corinth? Whoo! <laughs> Headlines. Local church caught in an adulterous affair. In the name, the pictures. Night news. And the first thing that happens is a picture of the church. There's the church. Right there. The church you go to. There it is, right there. Trouble in the church became widespread public knowledge. So here's some counsel that Paul gives the church. 1 Corinthians 5.1 and following, it's reported commonly there is fornication among you, and such fornication not so much named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. And here's what it says. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already, as though I were present, concerning him that hath done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together into my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan, for the destruction of the flesh, that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Here's his counsel. It has been reported commonly. Everybody knows what's going on, he said in the church. So here's my counsel. Number one, get humble. Get humble. You're puffed up, he said. You're full of yourself. Your glorying is not good. First of all, submit to God. Church problems are usually pride problems. James 4, 6 and 7, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit yourselves to God, he says. And secondly, submit to each other. 
1 Peter 5, 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Pride is the most destructive sin. It's the most destructive sin typically committed in the family. God hates it. God resists it. We see numerous articles and statistics how the American church is shrinking greatly. How churches across our great country are closing their doors. How average attendances are going down the dumper. Why is the church shrinking? Well, is it because we're too proud to admit we're hurting and need help? Is it because we're too proud in believing that we don't need God that much? Are we too proud to share the gospel with others? Are we too proud to tell our friends and neighbors about this church? Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. 2 Timothy 1.8, Paul says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel, according to the power of God. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Don't be too proud to share the gospel. Thirdly, mourn over sin. How lightly we, we, we treat sin. How insignificantly we treat sin. Oh, not if it's against us, but if it's against God or something we did, well, God will forgive us. First John 1, 9. In 2 Corinthians 7, 9 and 10, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. Mourn over sin. Deal with it. Deal with your sin. That he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you, he writes. 2 Corinthians 12, 20, 21. For I fear, lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I would, and that I shall be found unto you such as ye would not, lest there be debates, envyings, wraths, strifes, backbitings, whisperings, swellings, tumults, and lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and that I shall bewail many which have sinned already, and have not repented of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness which they have committed. Deal with it. Deal with the sin. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 14 and 15, And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed, yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Deal with it. Don't let it go on. Don't tolerate it. Just deal with it. Next, emphasize the spiritual walk. That the spirit may be saved, he writes. Our mind is that which communicates with our spirit. What we think affects our spirit. 
Ephesians 4.23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Philippians 4.8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Don't watch the 10 o'clock news at night and then go to bed. My land. Think on these things. Did you hear about the murders last night? Now think on these things. Can you believe how bad our nation is? Think on these things, he says. Let your mind renew that spirit in you. Our spirit is to be renewed daily. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16, 4, which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. My outward man's getting older, uh, aches and pains. One day this mortal shell will perish. That doesn't mean my inner man has to perish. My inner man could be full of energy as I walk with Christ on a daily basis. Colossians 3.10, And have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. A good name. A good name. How's your name? Is it a good name? Peter. A man named Heiner. Alexander, Lois, and Brian are all very different men. Peter was an engineer. Alexander, a social worker. Uh, Lewis and Brian run a landscaping business, and Peter and Heiner live in Austria. There's only one thing they share in common. That is the fact that they are the only remaining members of Adolf Hitler's bloodline. As soon as they found out of their Hitler family history, the three Americans made a pact. One that their Austrian relatives joined. None of them would have children, that the family line would end with them. It seems that the last of the Hitler family will soon die out. By the next century, there will not be a living member of the Hitler bloodline left, according to this article. The man whose life's goal was to create a perfect bloodline by exterminating those of others will have his own soon intentionally capped off. Proverbs 22.1 Proverbs 22, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. I hope that you don't think that what you do does not affect it won't bother anybody else. I can get by with it. Nobody knows, said Aiken. But God knew. God always knows. God always knows. He knows what goes on in the family. He knows what goes on in the church family. May we have and continue to have a good name. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, I thank you. Thank you for your love. 
I thank you for your incredible patience, your long-suffering. And I thank you, Lord, for the name of Christ, a name above all names, a name that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess, that Jesus Christ is Lord of lords and King of kings. What a name. But Lord, we are to reflect your nature. And in so doing, that involves a name. So Lord, would you please do a work in our hearts right now? And if we have gone careless with that name, whether it be our family name or a church family name, then Lord, would you convict us right now? And would you help us to protect that name for your glory, not for ours, for yours? I wonder, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I wonder in which way the Spirit of God has spoken to your heart this morning. Have you felt the obligation to that name? Did you understand what a responsibility a name is? One day, you and I will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And our name will be called out. Is your name written in his book of life? How important that name will be. When you came in this morning, do you know 100% for sure that when you die, you'll go to heaven? No doubts whatsoever. If so, I'm so grateful. But if not, I'd sure like to pray for you. I wonder this morning in this quietness with nobody looking around, is there anybody that would be honest with themselves and with me? I would say, Pastor, I do not know for sure that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven, but I would like to know, would you pray for me? Anyone like that that put their hand up where I can see it and back down? Pastor, pray for me. I don't know for sure that I'm going to heaven when I die, but I want to know, please pray for me. Anyone like that? Let's quietly stand to our feet. Everyone standing. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I want you for just a moment to consider your name. And like my dad instilled to me, son, you keep the outdoor name special. How is your name affecting others for Christ? How is the name of the church affecting those around you? What are you doing regarding that name? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time we spent together. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for meeting with us. And I pray, Lord, that in the days to come, we might look back and thank you for this time we've spent together, giving us an understanding of the importance of a name. And may we celebrate in the months to come your name. We love you so much in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much.